don't seem to be struggling like we are. Some other churches don't make me feel uncomfortable with their preaching. But here it's the same thing every week. You've got to die to self. You've got to lose your life to find it. You've got to love. You've got to have a revelation of his love. You've got to have a revelation of this thing and that thing, and it's got to be a revelation deposited in your spirit, not just something you know up here. I'm getting sick and tired of hearing that. It's got to be in your spirit. It's got to be in your heart, not your head. Who's preaching this stuff? It's all about knowing God. And you don't know him like he wants you to know him. I'm, I'm done. I'm over it. This is not what I think church should be like. So me and my family are leaving. We're going to go somewhere that has more life that preaches more biblical teaching and isn't firing the staff that I like. <laughs> Good night. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's not my experience personally, but that is what I hear. That is what I've heard from some people. And I remember... I remember when we'd fill this auditorium, uh, when, it, when it was full on a Sunday morning, I remember when the coffers were full, and I got a nice lunch on a, on a Tuesday staff meeting. I remember when international bands and speakers would grace this stage, and The Rock was a cool place to go to. It was cool. Senior pastor was a surfer was on TV surfing. And we were always at the, the cutting edge of ministry breakthroughs. The Rock was a church of pioneers. Back in the good old days. Body and soul, global tribe, zeal, Mexico, blueprint. The Rock was always doing something. Doing something legendary. Doing something good. The Rock has always been really good at doing good things. And through The Rock, the Lord has done really good things. And I don't want to take away from any of that. This, that's not a cautionary tale. That's awesome, the things that God did through this place. But what if we can't move on from that? move on from the doing and recognize that there is a greater reality that God is trying to bring us than the doing and the works that we can accomplish. What if we could commit ourselves to pulling off these legendary feats in ministry, but then not actually see any transformation in us? If doing good was what the kingdom of God was about, then God really shouldn't have tinkered with the rock. He should have left the rock exactly how it was because if doing good things was what it's about, the rock was pretty sweet. 
Now, I wasn't a member of the, the family here back in the good old days. I knew it from outside. And my church, yeah. Sorry, it's my fault. But I, I, knew, I knew of these deeds from outside. And we would look to the rock and, oh, wow. Believing that God, the things he is doing in these people, it's amazing. How come they're always at the cutting edge? The rock market leaders in the market of church. If slick professional services and large events, exciting programs are the church's purpose, then why did God change the leadership here? Why did he change their hearts? Why did he change them and lead them down a different path? Greg's got a background in, in management. He knows how to get the best out of people. He knows how to sell a product. Naturally, he is a salesman. Naturally, he is a marketer. That's in him. You see him talking to people. He can win people to things. Using his natural skills, if it was just about filling this place and getting a product sold, he could just rely on, on, on the natural, and this place would be pumping. But we know that in the natural, you can't actually change someone's character and change their heart. And it turns out that God didn't want a salesman. And so it turns out Greg's not really a salesman at all. That's not his calling. That's not actually what God's put on his life. God raised up someone to lead here that doesn't care what people think. It's not trying to sell them a product. It's more, here it is. It's what Jesus is offering. Take it or leave it. And if you leave it, that's on you. I don't want you to. I want you to take this, but you've got to make the choice. That's a really crap sales pitch, by the way, bro. <laughs> but then, yeah, turns out God's not looking for a salesman. We've been preaching about transformed hearts and minds for a while now. We've preached about new wineskins. We've been preaching about building by God's blueprint. And it turns out that that wasn't just a metaphor. This summer, God gave our elders a new blueprint for the rock structure. This new model, which is not a new model at all, uh, sees a body released to live and function according to God's design and purpose, rather than functioning just by a few paid staff members and a few very committed and overworked volunteers. In this new model, we are all priests, we are all ministers, we are all gifted, and we are all called. Let's have a look at those scriptures. The big one is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Which is about spiritual gifts, but it's about so much more than spiritual gifts. This is a part of a letter that is really train, training, teaching the church on what the church is supposed to be and how we're supposed to function. Now, the gifts are given to us, but they're given to us for a purpose. And in this model, he highlights what we're supposed to be. Now, verse 7, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. 
to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another the interpretation of tongues. All these the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one as he determined. Now he's not front-loading all these up on, on one person, this Christ figure who can go in the church and be Christ of everyone else. We've got one Jesus. That's all the Jesus we need. Only supposed to have one of him. He's, he's distributed all of his gifts around the church, not on one person, but in each one of us. And he determines who was gifted and called to what. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, we would the sense of hearing be, and if the whole body were an ear, we would the sense of smell be. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body. So that there should be no division in the body. So that there should be no division in the body. The purpose is here is unity. The gifts spread out each given um, by God's determination so that there would be no division in the body. Ah, we're not really nailing that one so much. But that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. You are the body of Christ and each one of you is a part of it. Uh, my study before uh, I went to Bible college and before my first internship was in human physiology. That was uh, the focus of my university study, human physiology, the study of the, the processes, the biological processes of the body, how the body fits together and functions in systems. 1 Corinthians 12. This, this is the song of my people, my nerdy people. Every part plays a function. Every gene, every gene receptor. Everything is so crucial. You switch off just one gene receptor and it messes everything up. Even the parts that you don't think you need, like the appendix. It's not vestigial. It's a sac that contains bacteria, health, uh, helpful bacteria that is put back into the system uh, when we've been really sick. We can live without it, but not to the same degree of immunity if it was still there. Even the part, that, that's a small part, but it's still part of God's design. You can, you can survive by cutting something off. You can live without a toe, but not to the same degree. 
if you had them all. Imagine what Martin Guptill would have been like if he had all those extra toes. So it's a cricket reference. If you look it up, it's still, still hurting. Ephesians chapter four, verse eleven to sixteen. We've preached out of this so much, and we've preached fivefold, 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 fivefold. Here's the five. They're so important. You need them. Need them back in the church. God's bringing back the fivefold. Yes, yes, yes. I preached heaps of that, but that's not at all it says. Each one of us. Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity, unity in the faith. Once again, unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. This is the Christ who distributed all of his gifts among his church so that we would come together and be one. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. The great and mighty fivefold gift things don't make it all work. They have a function to equip the rest of the body in certain ways to build us towards maturity. But without every other supporting part, every other supporting ligament doing its part, the body is not whole. The body is not mature. There may be elements of it that are coming into maturity, but God's not thinking about elements. God's thinking about a whole body. There's only one church in God's eyes, and he wants to see us all in unity growing into maturity. The body is a metaphor of connectedness, of synergy, of life, and of function. A body part can't function outside of the body, not in the way God has designed it to. And the body cannot function to its full potential when all of its parts are not present or functioning. God doesn't just give spiritual gifts to church staff members, but to all his children. Nor does he just call staff members to love and serve the body and the world. He calls us all to. He calls you to. But how how do we fit it all in clay? I've got my responsibilities at work. Big job. My responsibilities at home. Lots of kids. Just want my stuff. Responsibilities uh, for my sports team, for my club. I've got responsibilities uh, for the kids' school and the kids' kindy. Uh, where am I going to find time for all this kingdom stuff that I thought we were paying you guys for? I've heard it said, and maybe I've preached it, that we need to find a balance between our responsibilities in the world and our responsibilities in the kingdom. You need to find a healthy balance. Well, I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, there is no balance to be found 
what madness. There's no balance. There's no weighing things up. There's no choices between, oh, well, today I'll have to choose kingdom um, uh, because my wife is on my case or Kurt keeps calling me up to serve at this thing. I'll choose, I'll choose kingdom today, but next week, next week works full on, so I'll have to choose work next week. Uh, but I'll try to get along to a service the week after that. I'll choose kingdom then. That's not, that's not the choices that we're making here. It's not a binary on-off kind of thing. The kingdom is on all the time. It, it's not a... Tr- it, yeah, I don't, don't want to word that wrong. In some ways, it's a choice that we need to make constantly. But in others, it's a decision we made and we stepped into a new spiritual reality. And we're in it now, and we can't kind of switch that off. We can pretend it's not there, but that's the spiritual realm we live in now. We are in the kingdom of God. And it's not just that we're in it, it's in us. Because the spiritual, the, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, and the spirit of God is in us. So we take that with us wherever we go. So when we go to work, the spirit of God, the kingdom of God is in us. Now we can suppress that. We can hold it in because it's inappropriate to let that out at work. Um, This is a professional environment. But it's in us. And we can get good at holding it in. And releasing it isn't necessarily getting up on your desk. Repent! Repent! Or some people, it might be, but... But uh, Jesus' ministry wasn't all pointing at sinners and calling them to repent. In fact, not really much of his ministry was jumping on desks and telling sinners to repent. It was more John the Baptist gig. But uh, Jesus Jesus was meeting out in the streets with, with tax collectors and going, going back to their place to have a meal. It's a whole different kind of thing altogether. When we come into Christ... It's all kingdom. We may still physically be in the world, but we are no longer of it. We are now citizens of heaven. The kingdom is not what we engage with in a service on a Sunday or in a Bible study on a Tuesday night. The kingdom of God is in us, and we take it with us wherever we go. The kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom, and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now that kingdom is manifest as and when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and to move through us. And there isn't a formula for that. It doesn't, I can't say this is the way it looks and this is the way it will be expressed in each circumstance because, well, I don't tell you how the Holy Spirit's going to move in your life. You listen to him. And he will lead you, and it will look different at different times. You learn to hear his voice. That means getting to know him better. That means spending time with him. This is just basic spiritual formation. This is just knowing God and building a relationship. And when he speaks, you do what he says. And as you do, the kingdom of God is manifest in you and through you. The kingdom of God is manifest when we surrender to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Matthew six twenty five thirty three. I tell you, do not worry 
about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not even labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow was thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. This is the verse about balance. This is the verse about, oh, no, no, I've got, I've got to make sure that, you know, I take care of my responsibilities at work. You know, it's important that, you know, well, I've got all these duties. Oh, I'm, I want to provide well for my family. You know, this is, this is my responsibility under, under God. This is what I've got to take care of. And what's left, I'll see if I can give back to the kingdom. This is the balance verse. You know what God says? It's not very helpful. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about the food. Don't worry about your clothes. Don't worry about the salary. Don't worry about it. It's fine. I know. I've got it. It's cool. Don't worry about it. Seek first the kingdom. Don't worry. I don't know many worried people who like just to hear that. Yeah, don't worry. It's fine. I've got it. Now, if you don't know who is saying this, that's really hard to hear. If you don't know how trustworthy he is, that's, that's hard to hear. That's, that doesn't console me at all if I don't know who he is. If I don't know that that's the creator of the universe, when he says he's got my provision taken care of, that's hard. Yeah, I, I don't get encouraged by that. Well, thanks, God. Don't worry about it. The flowers. Cool, thanks. What, I'm going to close myself with flowers? But the more I know him and his faithfulness and his capacity to provide so much more than I could ever use and his habit of actually following through on that, well, then, okay, okay, that's a trustworthy saying. My God, the creator of the universe, who owns the cattle on 10,000 hills, he says, if I can look after the little things which are insignificant, I can look after you, trust me and seek my kingdom first then losing my salary is fine because my salary comes from him, just like the one before came from him. Just like every single thing I've got along the way comes from him. He's got it under control. Just trust him. Seek first his kingdom. Whatever your circumstances are, whatever kind of financial security you've got, or how little, you seek first his kingdom. And he'll take care of the rest. The problem we face is that the kingdom of God is very, really our priority. There seems like so many other things are pressing. God often kind of sits back and kind of handles us from a distance and whispers from a distance. But work is yelling at us. The bank is yelling at us. The power company yelling at us. 
overdue. We're cutting off your power. You're not cutting off my power. I'm fine. I'm going to pay my bills. But, but those voices can be hard to ignore. And so we put them first. Our comfort is usually our priority. Our security is usually our priority. We want a life that is comfortable. To be surrounded by material possessions that make us comfortable. To be surrounded by, uh, to want a church community that is comfortable. That does not make us feel uncomfortable. No one wants to come to church and feel uncomfortable. Sleep on a Sunday morning is so much more comfortable. We want to fit into a world comfortably. We want a faith that does not make the world feel uncomfortable so that they will leave us alone to be comfortable in our comfortable faith. That is not what Jesus promised us. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Let's not, let's not kid ourselves. The, uh, this restructure is not about to launch a great tribulation in our lives, uh, even with a blood moon uh, this weekend. Um, and this isn't about to launch you know, a tribulation in my life. I think losing secu- physical security in my salary is probably going to be one of the best things that happened to me in a long time. If you've heard any of my testimony, you, you would have heard of the number of times that, that God demonstrated his love and faithfulness to me when uh, I was raised by a mother in pretty close to what we get to poverty in this country. And then when I had to find my own support when I first started out in ministry and I was living, well, it wasn't paycheck to paycheck because there wasn't a paycheck, but uh, it was things coming through on the day to, to provide. And in that, what I learned about my God was phenomenal. But yeah, I haven't had to really rely on that for a long time now. And I have become comfortable in a lot of different ways and even in in my ministry i've become comfortable and come to redefine myself according to a role i think god's got something greater for me the growth that he wants to do in me in in this season and oh my king this season could be the rest of my life i don't want to be thinking okay i just got to get through this till i get a a great church job back again because that's what god's you know it's that's my calling my calling isn't actually a, a staff role My calling is what he has designed me for in his kingdom, which the structure that goes around that is irrelevant. So whether I'm teaching his word in a life group or to my children or to a group, he's put in me the the gifting, the desire to teach his word. And wherever I am, I need to be true to that and true to him. Some things are going to change, though, and I hope they do, because if we're not changing, then we're not growing. This restructure will see us disestablish six paid staff roles. How can the church continue to function without paid staff in those roles? What does worship look like without a worship pastor? Well, to be honest... I've had the most deep and sincere worship experiences over the last two years since we haven't had a, um, had a paid uh, worship pastor. And oh, 
I think about all the things that I established during my tenure as a worship pastor and have repented of all of them. Apologized humbly before the Lord. That uh, when when the, the man was taken out of the role and that void had to be filled by the Spirit and by someone who was Spirit-led and could hear his voice, oh, it got hard, weird, crazy, and saw the most significant spiritual growth that we've, we've ever seen in this ministry, as long as I've been involved in it. And I am expecting to see that across the board. All the gaps that people have been filling will have to be filled by the Spirit and Spiritful people. So it's not just a, it's not a job for them, but it's a choice just to make a sacrifice and, and submit. No, I don't want to make it sound like the work we've been doing has all been flesh. It certainly hasn't. But there's, there's an element of, of covering over cracks and filling the gaps. They're not, they're not gaps. It's a part of the body that's supposed to be filled by that part of the body rather than some um, people who have a multi-skill set and who can cover over the cracks. That's not the body functioning according to the way God wants it to. Discipleship, pastoral care, outreach, worship, youth ministry, children's ministry. What do these look like when there isn't a paid full-time minister to lead them? Ministry is not a program. It is an expression of gifting. It's a calling for all the saints. And those giftings were expressed in the Holy Spirit Church we read of in Scripture. And the functions of the church weren't resourced by salaries. They were resourced by the Holy Spirit. And they looked like this. Discipleship. Acts chapter 2, 42 and 46. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. There was a gathering together. Gatherings like this, but actually in a public place. They weren't hidden away. They were, it was in a public place. But they sat under teaching. And at times, those, uh, those apostles, certainly Paul, uh, found salary outside of their church communities. They didn't let money get in the way of ministry if that was going to be a problem. But Acts 2.46, they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There was not just the, these, these gatherings, the big ones, they would actually get together in each other's homes. And Ephesians 5.19, they would speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. When we talk about fellowship, what, what do you thought I want to say what you think? What, what do you think when you, when you think fellowship? And don't, don't over-spiritualize me, but fellowship, what, what do you generally think of? Food? Hanging out? That kind of thing? Yeah, that's cool. That's fine. I, I, I think that too. But there was, th- that, that's good, but there was, there was a context in which that was happening. It was a spiritual context. I enjoy having food and hanging out and drinking and watching the cricket with people who are not of this kingdom. There's a spiritual difference between those things and what we are called to do. And in the church... When they hung out, they spoke together, spoke to another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. 
Okay, this model is not a teacher, an expert, lecturing everyone else in what it is. This is, this is the truth of God deposited in each of us, being released so that we can teach one another. We are all disciples. We are all disciplers. We all have a capacity for spiritual influence as we allow the Holy Spirit, who is in each of us, to speak through us. Now, for that to happen, there also needs to be, well, the Word of God and discernment. But that's what healthy discipleship is. Pastoral care. How do you pastor a church without a paid pastor? Romans 12, 10 to 13. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be hopeful in hope. Joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality, Hebrews 3.13. Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Hebrews 10.24-25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. First Peter 4, 8 to 10, above all, love each other deeply. Sorry, let me say that again. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. I'll give you another. 1 John three sixteen to 20. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth, and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. The model throughout the the scriptures of the church is that it's not a person pastoring everyone it's us pastoring each other shepherding each other using the gifts god has put in us to bless each other loving one another i know some people have pushed back on all the all the sermons sermon after sermon uh about god's love Do a Bible gateway search on love in the New Testament and see how much Jesus banged on about love. About how much Paul banged on about love. Well, maybe not Paul. Some guy fell asleep and died listening to Paul. But Jesus, definitely. It is the dominant theme of Jesus' ministry and of Paul's love. And love is expressed in different ways. But it is sacrificial, and the love comes from him. Outreach. How do you have a successful outreach ministry if you don't have a gifted and hopefully paid evangelist? First Peter 3. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. I come from a really strong background in uh, gospel outreach events in an era when it was crazy the number of people that we could get into uh, a hall uh, slash a stadium 
the crusade era, the uh, uh, late 80s, 80s and, and into the 90s. Just YFC was huge. And the number of decisions we got. Woo! Awesome. And that's how I came to learn that, that that's how you evangelize. And it's interesting, if you looked on my LinkedIn, and I'm updating my LinkedIn profile regularly at the moment, um, what's, what's um, interesting uh, is you, you look at how um, my skill sets have been endorsed. And I think my highest endorsed skill set is evangelism, which is very low on my spiritual gift list. And um, that's because a lot of young people who have come to know me uh, came to know me through a gospel event, and I would preach the gospel, and and I would lead people to Christ, because uh, that's what you did when you're youth pastor uh, in in the nineties. Uh, but that's not what the the Lord's placed in me, and it's not what He's called me to do, and it's not a great skill uh, when you're trying to get a job in the marketplace. All right, Mr. McGregor, guys, interesting. Got some project skills, some communication there. Oh, wow, he's rated as a great evangelist. Oh, that'll fit in really nice in the office, don't you think? Awesome, yeah. Let's give McGregor a go. Can you please stop endorsing my uh, evangelism on my LinkedIn? Not helping. Thanks, though. Uh, outreach is not a... Outreach is not a it's not a ministry. But I, I don't even know where did the word outreach come from. The truth of the gospel is in us. It's, it's a seed that's been placed in us, and that has been growing as the Holy Spirit has continued to water that and, and work through his church to grow us into maturity. It is in us, and as it grows, it changes who we are. We, we're a new creation, and we should look and sound different because the Spirit of God is alive in us. It's not a ministry. It's just who we are. Evangelism is what happens when a spiritful believer opens his mouth. Or it should be. It should be demonstrated in, in your lifestyle, which there's integrity there. So what, what, what you preach, or what you say, is backed up by how you live so that uh, those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It's only slander if what they're saying isn't true. If, however, you are deceitful, uh, if you are prideful and arrogant, if you are a gossip, well, then if they were to say that and point fingers and say this person's a hypocrite, that's not slander. That's the truth. Worship. How do you worship without a worship pastor? Well, we know that worship's got nothing to do even with what happened tonight, this was an amazing experience tonight, and I loved it, and, and that helps me to block out the noise of the world and just focus on him, and I love that. There's nowhere else I'd rather be. I've, been, I've sung those words and actually be thinking of somewhere else I'd rather be. Yeah. Yeah, probably a common feeling. Yeah. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Worship, first of all, it's our daily sacrifice. 
offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. The singy stuff is is has a purpose and it's great and it certainly helps me. And uh, if it comes from a true heart, that certainly glorifies God. Um, what's interesting in another song that we sung tonight um, was one about um, praise in all the earth. Well, what's that lyric? We'll glorify your name in all the earth. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one. We certainly praise him in here. What does glorifying him look like in all the earth, which is everywhere except here? See everything else. What, is, what does that look like? I think meditating on that, the answer to that question, what does glorifying him in all the earth look like? What does it look like at work? What does it look like in your home? What does it look like uh, on the motorway at 715 the uh yeah there's a good i think bible study on worship in in that question how do you do children um, children's and youth ministry when you don't have a full-time uh children's uh or youth pastor how do you do that mm. this is a hard one when like almost my whole career has been uh this so what i need to what i want to say now is um the end of any possibility of me working in this field ever again. We're not recording this, are we? Oh, it's interesting. Um, uh, biblically, there's no youth ministry because there's not a youth. Actually, it's interesting. I don't want to, you know, I've probably spoken longer than I wanted to. Uh, teenagers uh, got invented uh, in the late 40s. Kind of post-war, post-war Europe, post-war America, teenagers. Uh, it was a construct. Uh, there just used to be two groups of people in the world: kids and adults. And uh, post-war, actually, lead up to that, the um, uh, child labour laws, trying to you know stop you know us killing our little kids in the coal mines, uh, and the accessibility of education and that lengthening. Uh, and um, well, there's a couple of factors as well, I think. Somehow the motor car factors in this as well. It meant that, that the time between becoming a child and coming into uh, the life of an adult got stretched out. Oh, it was uh, parents started pushing their kids to marry later. So there's this whole period where um, uh, you're, not, you're not a kid anymore, but you're not being released to be an adult either. And that gap that got stretched out and created became what we know now as adolescents and teenagers. So you guys didn't even exist. And so that developed and to such a thing where you're a whole other uh, organism, a whole weird creature we don't even understand anymore. And we need specifically trained people who need to be really cool, uh, preferably play guitar, definitely drive a van, to deal with you because no one else knows how to. Uh, uh, biblically, uh, there was just kids. And there weren't kids pastors. Oh, except there was. There was, there was two in every family. Kids pastors and the Bible are parents. The responsibility of discipling children uh, is you, mum and dad. You know the Lord, your responsibility is to teach your kids his ways. That's it. Um... 
So uh, I don't know. I don't know where we lost that. We we delegated. We delegated the responsibility for pretty much everything to the church, to the leadership of the church, to the staff of the church. Delegated responsibility because we've got all this other stuff that we need to do. Uh, I've been asked a number of times by people who were checking out churches, oh, what's your children's program like? I'm like, I don't know. Or, uh, are your kids growing? I said, yeah, 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 but I don't know if the church's going to do with that. Um, I don't delegate my responsibility to someone else. I raise my own kids in the Lord, thank you very much. I hear good things, I hear it's awesome. But, yeah, no, 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 I, that's my responsibility. I'm, and you don't really want to pick in a church based on who provides the best goods and services do you what's god saying to you where's god leading you hmm i've been a part of churches that don't have many paid staff in fact i've been a member of a church that didn't have any paid staff whatsoever it's part of a movement of churches that didn't have any staff something quite exciting about that about being part of something that that needs you. I, I want I want to be somewhere. Well, I want to be somewhere that God leads me. But I want to be somewhere where I can be who God's called me to be. Where I where the God uh, the gifts He's placed in me are released. Now I understand that everything that God's put in me doesn't find its fulfillment necessarily in a service or in this kind of thing. A lot of what He puts in us is used in a different context. Maybe it's in, in the way we open our home. Maybe it's, uh, it's somewhere out in the world in the marketplace. But we take the kingdom with us wherever we go anyway, so that's by the by. But I like to be somewhere where I know that I can, I can make a contribution. That contribution needs to be submitted and recognizing that God raises up people to actually lead us in that. So it's not just a case of this is what God's put in me and I need to go somewhere where God lets me, you know, where I'm allowed to be me because we get a bit of that as well. You know, God's called me to be a preacher so I need, I need really to be preaching. I need a place where, I'll, where God's voice can be released through me. Once again, you're making yourself the sovereign of your life and dictating to everyone else how it needs to be. So we're done with that. In a bigger church, churches with great systems and great admin and plenty of paid staff, the gaps are covered. And in a place like that, you can feel like there's no place for what God has deposited in you. And a lot of people have thought that, even people who are really gifted and are used to serving, they just look around them and you think, oh, but everything's so sorted here. People's got everything so well organized. Not recognizing the frantic, mad rush that Debbie Robinson would put in every Sunday to cover the multitude of cracks that have opened up everywhere because people aren't serving. It's not even talking about gifting. I'm just actually helping out, just actually filling a gap. You don't take an incredibly gifted person uh, to help pass out the blue buckets or to to operate the cash register in the cafe but, or do the dishes. It just takes someone who's got a loving heart and is prepared to serve. But, yeah. We haven't got Debbie anymore. Suddenly all the cracks open up, don't they, Kirk? <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> Fact is, God has been restructuring us for years. It's the truth. He has been. 
a lot of people couldn't see that God was restructuring things, and a lot of people have walked away. But ultimately, the restructure is not about staff. It's not about leadership. The restructure is about our hearts. And all the things that have frustrated me about this place, the things I have wanted to leave here so many times. Oh, serious, I really, really have. I'm not making a joke here. There are so many things that wanted to pull me out the door, things of the flesh, things I thought were spiritual. But it was actually my flesh raising up against what God wanted to do in me. And the issue for me was that I am—I stubbornly believe that I can only God go where God sends me. And he had emphatically and clearly led me here. And I couldn't leave because he didn't open the door. So I had to stay here and suffer. And I felt like I was suffering here. But he wouldn't let me go. And so, yeah. So I stuck it out, resisting everything that well, what it would Greg was doing. Until I could see what God wanted to do in me. And I could see, oh, why did you have to work this way? But when I could see him working and trust in it and release myself to it, okay, now he can really restructure me. Uh, And because of my stubbornness and because of my flesh, things got so uncomfortable for me because I wasn't prepared from the start just to hear from him and go with it. Ultimately, this is all about a restructuring of the heart. The kingdom is not about what we do. It is about who he is. And who he's called us to be. And we find that identity in him. If we can get that, I have no doubt that all the doing will take care of itself. So we're going um, to split up into groups now. We're going to spend the rest of the night just looking at some questions. Though there might be an even better discussion beyond the questions. Because the questions talk a bit more about, about gifts and serving. Um, but I think for a lot of us, there are a, a bigger discussion about that uh, in terms of what God is doing here at The Rock and what he has been doing and what that might mean for us. Not for what we do, but what it might mean for the message he has for us and how he wants us um, to be transformed. So, um, so yeah, how about we do that? How do you want to split up, mate? Um, so we've got the questions 